Well, we've reached um, the final instalment of my mini-series on the qualities that the sea shares with God. Ah, oh, gosh, I need to put signs up or something. I'll try again. We've reached the final instalment of my mini-series on the qualities that the sea shares with God. Oh. I know. <laughs> In my first instalment, we looked at the first three, which were that both the sea and God are our refuge, they both lead and guide us, and they both have the power to transform. Last week then, we saw that both the sea and God are so big that we are yet to explore all that they are, that they can be, that they both can be a place of stillness and grand peace, and also, perhaps most wonderfully, that the line that separates the sky from the sea was graciously spanned by Jesus, who made a way where there was no way for us to cross over from earth into heaven's glory. So what more is there to like about the sea? And what more is there to love about the sea that you can also love about God? Well, I have three more qualities. When we were in Kuwait, all four of us, my mother, myself, Johnny and his girlfriend, Victoria, were all in the sea at the same time. And on one occasion, we all decided to um, get, out, get out for a few minutes at the same time. And as we were walking back to the shore, several fish jumped past our path. And they weren't particularly exotic fish. But it was just amazing that we all saw these fish just jump out of the sea, like all about, like this. And they did it right in front of us, and we saw it. And to get in the sea in Egypt, we had to walk along a jetty and get in in the deep. Because you couldn't walk from the shore, because the shallows were all taken up by coral of all shapes and sizes and colours. And we had to be careful not to damage it. When you got in the water, you simply had to have goggles or a snorkel set. Because if you stuck your head under, you could, um, you could see your own legs and the legs of other holiday makers working to stay afloat. But all around them would be these amazing fish, all bright colours, some long and thin, some short and fat, some really slow, and others super fast. And when I was in Ecuador, I saw a humpback whale jump out of the water and turtles lazily gliding around. And in Wales, I've seen dolphins play with each other and seals and otters basking in the sun. Did you know that there are 242,500 marine species catalogued over the last 250 years? And around 2,000 more found every year. The ocean covers over 70% of the earth and it is the most unexplored area. And yet they still know of a quarter of a million different species and are finding thousands more every year. It's safe to say, I think, that the sea is teeming with life. And there's two different ways I can relate that to God. So firstly, let's imagine that we are the fish in the sea. When we are in the sea, we're fine. We can live. When we're out of the sea, we will surely die. And the same can be said of God. When we are in him, we will live. And if we are outside of him, we will surely die. 1 John 5, verse 11 to 12 says, And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And seeing as I mentioned a Disney princess last week, I'll mention another one today. Ariel, also known as the Little Mermaid. She lived under the sea, but she wanted to experience life on land and longed to be there. 
but her father's counsellor, Sebastian the Crab, tries to tell her all the reasons why life under the sea is better than anything they have up there. Now, all the fish play in the musical instruments that Sebastian sang. If they went on land, they would die very soon after. But Ariel, she was a mermaid, half human, half fish. She was created to live in the sea, but could survive on land. Trouble is, she needed legs to get around. And she's so tempted um, to experience life out of the sea that she makes a deal with an evil witch who gives her legs in exchange for her voice. And believe it or not, I think that's quite reminiscent of mankind. We were created perfectly to live in a perfect world. But however much we had, we were tempted to experience more. And we were nudged in the wrong direction by the evil one. And whilst we didn't go from having a tail to having legs, we did go from ignorant bliss to having the knowledge of good and evil and the shame and everything that went along with it. We got what we wanted, but at a cost. When Ariel tried to return to the sea, she couldn't survive. She could no longer breathe underwater and only had her legs to swim. To survive in the sea again, to have life in the sea, she needed to become a new creation. She needed to be made perfect again, to live in the sea once more. And the same can be said of us. Here we are living in the sin of Adam, our bodies imperfect to survive in God, though adequate to survive in the world. And if we want to live forever in and with God, we too have to become a new creation through our faith in Jesus Christ. Life in the sea is better than anything they've got up there. And life in Christ is better than anything the world might have to offer, however tempting it may be. We're better off in Christ where there is life, because out there in the world, apart from Christ, there is only death waiting for us. So let's stop imagining that we are the fish now and look at the sea teeming with life in another way. Johnny used to love fishing. And when we were up the caravan, he often went fishing. And he never caught a single fish in all those years. I found a rod on the bank outside our house when I was young. And I took it on holiday. And I went fishing one time and I caught a fish. In fact, at one point I had three and two fell off. Benji, who'd never been fishing, had a go at Johnny's rod the same day and also caught a fish, much to Johnny's annoyance. And that night, I ate the fish and it satisfied our hunger. As a family, we aren't really big fish eaters, but huge proportions of the world's population eat fish regularly or often. And even some people who decide not to eat meat still allow themselves to eat fish. Without fish, many people in the world would go hungry and it's one of their own only sources of food. And the sea is full of creatures that are mesmerising and beautiful, but it's also full of creatures that we can eat to sustain ourselves. And in some situations, the sea creature that you admire for its magnificence one day, you eat for your sustenance the next. Surprise, surprise, but the same can be said for God. Once we realise and recognise and accept God as our saviour and receive everlasting life, we can look around and see what else he can provide us with. He's our father, our friend, our counsellor, our teacher, our example, our king, our lord, our advisor, our security, our leader, our healer, our deliverer, our strength, our advocate, our peace, and so much more. And like the sea is able to provide us with fish to satisfy our hunger, God is able to provide us with whatever we need to, be, to satisfy that need. And like with the sea, we may admire the fact that God is our healer today, but tomorrow call on him to be our healer 
I don't need a healer today, but I might tomorrow. I need a friend today, but I might not tomorrow. There are so many hundreds and thousands of preachers under the sea. And God is so many things to us. He is our all in all. And he can and he will provide for us. The Good News translation of Psalm 16 verse 5 to 11 goes like this. You, Lord, are all I have. And you give me all I need. My future is in your hands. How wonderful are your gifts to me. How good they are. I praise the Lord because he guides me. And in the night my conscience warns me. I am always aware of the Lord's presence. He is near and nothing can shake me. And so I am thankful and glad. And I feel completely secure. Because you protect me from the power of death. I have served you faithfully. And you will not abandon me to the world of the dead. You will show me the path that leads to life. Your presence fills me with joy and brings me pleasure forever. Mm-hmm. I said last week that I love the waves in the sea. And whilst it's always nice and always necessary to have peace afterwards or instead of. Well, the second thing I want to speak about this morning is how exciting the sea is. And so how exciting God is. I think I might ask Park Dean for some sponsorship money. Because all I've done is extol the virtual pen dying this last few weeks. And today would be no exception. The last exciting day in the sea that I had there in Pendine was, I think, the last time that I went in the sea there. It was a stormy sort of an evening. My father asked me if I wanted to go and catch some waves, to which I obviously said yes. And we got down to the beach, and the tide was right up, and the waves were incessant and big. We had to go way further down the beach than we would normally to avoid the rocks. (laughs) And when we got got in it was exciting and action-packed from that moment to the moment we got out our normal experience would consist of a lot of waiting for a decent wave but on this day you'd run out for a wave missing five as you go catch one right back to shore and then run out again to catch another one it was very exciting it was the type of excitement which you experience in anticipation of what's to come as well as for what's happening in the present and even for what's happened in the past. That evening, as I ran out for my next wave, I was still beaming and reliving and excited about the last wave I caught, whilst excited for the wave I was about to catch, and the waves that followed. Excitement in its purest form, perhaps. Last week I used the analogy of men on a deserted island. Well, when you watch any film or TV show where the characters are stuck somewhere and need help, when they see a ship, or a helicopter in the distance. They get up quickly and start shouting and waving their arms, throwing fuel on the fire and arranging their rocks so that it clearly says help. And when they see the helicopter or the boat turn and head towards them, they stop waving their arms and jumping around to get their attention and instead do it with joy because they are saved and they couldn't be happier or more excited to have real food or to see the ones they love or to sleep in a comfortable bed, and so on. When they are settled on the boat or aircraft, they don't keep jumping around with joy. They rest and they relax, contented with their position of safety. However, the chain of events is a little bit different when there is more than one person on the deserted island. The one man will see the boat or helicopter and do all those things that I said to gain their attention. But once he sees them turn and head for the island... He doesn't jump up and down and celebrate until they arrive. He turns around and begins to shout for all the other people deserted on the island, 
calling them to come quickly because help has arrived. He is as good as saved already, now they're on their way. But he isn't satisfied with his own salvation. He does what he can to let others know that their salvation is here too. And only when he's off that island and in the bosom of the ship does he rest secure in his position. That day at the beach, it was easy for me to be excited about the sea and revel in it. With God, there is always something to be excited about. And the Bible is always telling us to rejoice. Philippians 4 verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I would say, rejoice. Psalm 33 verse 21, for our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Psalm 40 verse 16, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. And there are many, many more verses throughout the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, telling us to rejoice, telling us to be excited about God and everything that he's done for us. Dad, did you see that one? Dad, did you see how long I was on that one for? Dad, did you see me? Dad, Dad, look, look. When you're excited about something, you don't want anyone to miss anything. You want them to be as excited as you are. And often, if you're really excited, people are drawn in and also become excited because you were so excited. We were talking yesterday and I asked my mother and father if they had a favourite Christmas so far in their lives. My mother said that it wasn't necessarily her favourite Christmas, but she remembers vividly one Christmas when Johnny was given a guitar and he was the most excited little boy in the world. Yes! 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 I got a guitar! Yes! 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 I wasn't there, but I'm told that's how it goes. We have every reason to be as excited as Johnny that Christmas. And we have every reason to be as excited as a man on a deserted island when help is coming. And as I shout to my father to make sure he saw what happened to me, to make me more excited. And as the man on the deserted island shouts to everyone else that help is coming, we too should be so excited about God that we want everyone to know that help has come and he has done marvellous things. And it might go something a bit like this. Psalm 66. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honour of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. O bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid afflictions on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfilment. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered, and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with a sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. 
If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. It's important for our own walk in faith that we remain excited about God and all that he's done, done for us. When we become unmoved or unaffected by the truth of God, perhaps even bored, our human nature would have us seek out excitement elsewhere. We should be endeavouring and praying for our love and excitement about God would be new every morning, much like his love is for us. But not only that, it's important for us to be excited about God because our excitement and enthusiasm will draw others to him. I often pray that the people passing by this church on a dull, dreary or sad day would hear us singing joyfully and wonder what we have to be so happy about and come in and find a room of people excited about God and that that excitement would be infectious. The wise men in the Bible went looking for him who was to be born the saviour of the world. Matthew 2 verse 9 to 10 says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They were yet to meet with the Saviour face to face, but simply knowing and trusting that he would be there when they got there was enough to get them excited. The chapter goes on, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. We are yet to meet with our Saviour face to face, and yet we trust that we will, and we know that we will, and so we can get excited about it. And when we do, we will bow down before him and worship him. And so we've come to the final characteristic that the sea shares with God. A good few Tuesdays ago, we were talking about events in the Old Testament where God destroyed lots of people and how that makes us feel about our loving God that he could take away the lives of so many. And this week on Friday morning we looked at the event when Elisha cursed a gang of youths in the name of the Lord and two bears came and mauled them. How could God do this to young people? All they had done was mock and tease him. Easy answer? That's the God of the Old Testament, not the New Testament. That answer might be easy, but it's wrong. There's only one God, and he is the Alpha and Omega, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Whilst these stories can be hard to hear, shocking, and familiar maybe, and reminiscent of the God we know, I believe we should rejoice all the more in our position because of these events. Let's be clear here this morning. God hates sin. He detests it, detests lords and abhors sin he doesn't want to be near sin or associated with sin and his position on sin is unchanging it is crystal clear those terrible occasions when God destroyed men in their thousands should do nothing for us other than remind us that that is what we deserve and that is how God feels about sin that is how God deals with sin the wages of sin is death and they must be paid he is unbending on this he isn't willing to negotiate. There is no reasoning with God. There is no pleading with God. God always has and always will hate sin to the point where he will destroy cities that are deep-dyed sinners. He will destroy countries and he will flood worlds. God's position on sin is crystal clear from the beginning of time into eternity. 
but there has always been grace. I spoke once about the instances of grace in the Old Testament, and Noah is the obvious one. God was sorry he ever made man because all they had brought to this world was sin, and he was prepared to destroy them all. That is until he saw Noah, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God spared him. I'm thankful that God is so rigid and clear on his opinion of sin and how it is to be dealt with, because it means that I know where I stand. Recently I watched a series called The Good Place, and it was about what happens after you die. And the people with the highest score from their time on earth got to go to the good place, and everyone else went to the bad place. And no one knows that this is how it works, except for one guy who accidentally managed to find out. And he lived his whole life trying to get his score as high as possible and counteract any negative scores. Sounds like he lived a good life until you realise he only ate food that he grew himself but most of that he allowed the slugs and animals to eat because he didn't want to lose points for taking it away from them. Every penny he ever got he gave away to someone else. He didn't use any energy in the house to protect the environment. He lived his whole life terrified of his actions scared to live for how it would affect his score, which would determine whether he goes to the good place or the bad place. Living like that and sure of where you stand is a horrible way to live. But with God, he is crystal clear. You can eat of any tree but that one, says God. Easy. Everything I do is fine except eat of that tree. Awesome. What a fantastic way to live, where everything is allowed except one thing. But what are they like? They broke that one rule and it's left us, the rest of humanity, in an awful state where we are born sinners and there's nothing we can do about it. We can follow all the rules to the best of our ability but we are still covered in a sin and we know how God feels about sin. So what are we to do? Where can we go? What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. God is so clear on his opinion of sin and the results of sin, but he is also still a God of grace and has made it very clear what we can do to be saved. I've given you all some verses for people to read. Ali, you've got two, somewhere over there. Um, Where in one or two verses, God has made it crystal clear what we can do and what he has done to save us from his wrath on sin. So if we start with Nigel and then snake, and then finish with Ali again. Hit it. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, be put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Mm. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, mm-hmm. that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures himself and bore our sins in his body on the tree, we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, 
but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Romans 3, 23-25. For one's sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy 2 verses 5 and 6 For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time and 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full, full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost I don't think God's word could be any more clear on what we are and what God has done for us and what we are to do um, in response. When you're in the sea, the sea which is crystal clear, you can see your feet and on what they stand and you can see the water all around you. You can avoid any obstacle. You can see where you are, where you've been and where you're going. With God, he is so clear, crystal clear, on who he is and we can be sure about who we stand on we can be sure about who is all around us we can see who has been with us in the past and we can be confident in our current position and we can see where we are going in the future i thank god that he hates sin and always has and always will because i know for a fact that i am in need of a savior or else i would fall under his judgment i also thank god that he is a god of grace and always has and always will be because I know for a fact that he has made a way for me and for you and for the whole world whereby we need not fall under his judgment or we will but we will be found white as snow so there we have the nine things that I love both about the sea and about God he is our refuge he leads and guides us he can transform us he is so big he is our peace he has bridged the gap between the sky and the sea he is full of life, he is exciting, and he is crystal clear. I said when I began a couple of weeks back that I would love to have the sea in heaven. And the news that there will be no sea in heaven wasn't particularly good news as far as I was concerned. But when I realised that everything I love about the sea is also found in God to the nth degree, how could I possibly miss the sea? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen. 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 And I'm going to put those ten verses up on the board because I got them, they were collated by someone who said that they were good verses to have memorized because, as I said, in those two or three verses, one, two or three verses, is the whole gospel in each one. So if you can't remember anything off the top of your head, if you not remember, God shows his love for us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You've told somebody the gospel straight away. So I'm going to put them on the board there. Mm-hmm.